Welcome to Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. In this podcast, we delve into the non-clinical aspects of dentistry with inspirational guests from across the profession. You will hear incredible life stories, pick up valuable business tips and be entertained. I'm Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Drevens. What an enjoyable conversation with Oliver. Fascinating, really. I mean, someone so young uh, has experienced quite a lot. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of give too much away what's in the episode, but studying overseas, family practice, yeah, selling yeah. a practice, buying a practice, and uh, his, his honesty around that fitness to practice yeah, issue yeah. as well and telling that that whole story. I think it's really important. It's We know from our conversations mm. it's something that's constantly kind of sitting there tapping dentists on the shoulder, the yeah, fear of a, a GDC complaint. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But to hear his story of, of how that panned out mm. and how it went and how it affected him as well, um, I think it's a really interesting story, but I think a really powerful one to be told as well. And so lots of crammed in in 11 years. Absolutely. So here we are again. Welcome. We are. How are you doing, Chris? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Looking forward to this again. Pleased to hear it. Pleased to hear it. So today we are back. We are recording more podcasts for dentology, which is exciting. It is. So today we are delighted. We have a dentist, a practice owner, husband and father, and his name is Oliver Pierce. Welcome, Oliver. How are you doing? Yeah. Hi, Oliver. Good morning. Uh, I'm very well, gents. Thank you very much. Are you both okay? Yeah, very we're very good. good. Very, very good, good indeed. Yeah. Looking forward to having a chat. Yes. No same. snow. So that's good. No, it's been a funny week, hasn't it? We started with yeah. snow and now we've got glorious sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, Looking out the window, everything. I just saw some bloke go past on his parachute. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, some bloke's parasitted over, the, over there. Which is Sorry, uh, for those of you who are listening to this and you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was like, well, that's a bit odd. Don't often see that uh, occur in <laughs> Brookman's Park, but anyway, moving on. There we go. So back to the moment we're here for, which is to chat to Oliver. So, Oliver, both of your parents uh, were dentists and you say that the, the only topic around the, the dining room table was dentistry. So I guess the odds were stacked in your favour in terms of being a dentist. Uh if you view it as a positive, no, no, yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, thought, yeah. yeah, so I, mum and dad uh, met at Liverpool Dental School. Mum never wanted to be a dentist. This was back in the days when um, if you weren't good enough for medicine, they said, you're not good enough for us, but the dental school will have you. Oh, wow. Excellent. Um, obviously, now it's gone completely full circle. Um, and my dad, uh, my dad Bit of a bit of a strange one, really. He grew up in a little market town called Brigg in North Lincolnshire, um, and lived quite an unfortunate upbringing. Um, he lost his dad really young, oh. and he saw the local dentist driving around in a jag, and decided, "I want to do what he does." Um, <laughs> and worked really hard, got himself into the grammar school, um, and uh, he always told me about how. When he went for his interview at Liverpool Dental School, my, my grandmother said to him, don't tell them that your dad used to work in the steelworks. Don't tell them, um, sort of with a view that that was a bad thing. Um, oh, okay. Both got into um, both got into to Liverpool. Uh, my dad was the year um, ahead of my mum. And then my dad qualified and bought a practice in 1984 in Wolverhampton through Frank oh. Taylor Associates. Um, Brilliant. Back in the day, um, and then eventually um, moved to Sheffield, and then set up um, in Hull. Um, right. So I'm the second of, of four, the only dentist. Though my elder brother is married to a dentist, um, and yeah, it was it was everywhere really. I, I for years I couldn't figure out what it was that the smell, but it was it was the eugenol, it was the the clothes, <laughs> nice, um, nice. that sort of classic dentist smell. 
Um, and it was, it was the topic around the dinner table every night was, you know, how are we doing with this? How are we doing with that? Staffing, extensions, plans. I've just, I've just got in my head Christmas around the Piers household with like, uh, with all of those people in there. Should we discuss an endo treatment today? <laughs> uh, probably not, probably not endo, but probably, this was back in the day of FIPA items. So it was probably the good old days of how much did you gross today? Yeah. Um, where, you know, it was just a constant one upmanship of how much did you, uh, how much did you, did you, did you generate? So, I, I knew from a relatively early age, I think, that, that dentistry was the path that I wanted to, to follow. Um, my mum always tried to persuade me against it. Um, my dad never sort of uh, fully encouraged me to do it, but I could sort of tell inside he would, that, you know, the thought of his son going on to do dentistry wow. was, was, was amazing mm. for him. Oliver, did he buy a jag? He didn't get a jag, no. Ah, so I was wondering if he bought a jag. <laughs> he, he didn't. He didn't get the jag in the end, unfortunately. Um, and I, I, I just knew it was. It, I knew it was what I wanted to do. Um, I could never really sort of put my finger on why. Um, was that I from was, quite a young age, Oliver? Were you were you quite young when that yeah. dawned on you that that dentistry would be your future? I'd say I was about twelve or thirteen, and I knew oh, well, that, that, that was young. that was that was the way I wanted to go. But I also think I was really, really lucky and really fortunate. I think. If you know that from that age that you you, you want to go into, say, healthcare, doctor, mm. dentistry, your path's kind of laid out quite easily for you. And I actually mm. know a few people um, who who didn't really know where they wanted life to take them. Um, mm. And that's quite tricky in a sense because you've got to make your decisions at sort of 14, 15 for mm. you know, your GCSEs. And then that leads into the A-levels. And I think we kind of we pigeonhole ourselves quite early on yeah, in England. Definitely. Um, oh, very early on, and yeah. particularly like you say, if it's a if it's a qualification that that you you have to take for professional standards reasons, you know, lawyer, yeah. accountant, dentist, doctor, you have to make those decisions in your mid teens. Yeah. People at that age, most people, m myself included, I had no idea what I wanted to do. No. So I agree with you that, that in many ways you you were fought. I still don't know what I, I say. Not do. for a job. <laughs> well, I know what I wanted to do, but not for a job. Yeah. But but so <laughs> for you, I get what you're saying that you felt fortunate in that it, it gave you that pathway in terms of choosing the right, um, you know, O levels, GCSEs uh, yeah. onto A levels. That pathway was was much more mapped out for you than than mm. for many people. Yeah, I think if you compare us with with like the American system where they go and do the college and then they major in whatever it might be, they don't have to make those decisions till much much later. But mm. I think, as I say, I, I feel really lucky that I knew from such a, an early age the path that I wanted to take. Mm. Um, it didn't stop me from doing my best not to do it. Uh, and uh, to say I, I knew what I wanted to do, I really should have worked a bit harder. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess everything happens. happens Did we have a, a bit reason. of party time at university? Well, it was more before that, to be honest. I, oh, really? Um, your run-up? <laughs> yeah, my, 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 my run-up was quite a, a staggered run-up. Um, and I, I didn't you know, I didn't work as hard as I should have done in my AS levels, my A levels. And then I was unsuccessful getting a place into dental school. Oh, um, okay. I applied and got rejections. And then my mum had actually heard sort of down the grapevine that you could study abroad. Mm. And um, she wrote into the the Times education section, actually. I don't know why, because we never they met were. the Times. Oh, and, the Times yeah. education yeah. supplement. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they, online, yeah. they published her letter, did a full two-page spread about studying in Prague in particular. Um, and I applied. And um, I remember very vividly that the admissions tutor said, so your mum and dad are dentists? I said, yes. He said, 
so you've got the disease in your blood. I said, yeah, yeah, I've, I've got it there. Um, wow. And, and, and had, a, had a gap year, then off I went to Prague. Um, well, so. What's interesting, Oliver, you saying about, you know, you didn't perhaps apply yourself to the extent you should have when you did your AS and, and A-levels. The amount of people we hear who have, uh, you know, a knockback of, of some mm. sort early on, but that, that builds resilience, doesn't it? And yeah. I think so many people where things just keep going in your favour and working out and you have success, n- not experiencing failure, uh, until perhaps later in life it can be quite a hard lesson because you've not equipped yourself with how to deal with mm. it but having that lesson relatively early in your life mm. probably wasn't a bad thing in terms of understanding that you need to be resilient and you need to apply yourself because not everything just falls in your lap just because mm. your parents were dentists that was no passage of right for you no. to to suddenly just walk that same path and, and become a dentist no, exactly i think i think if i'm honest i probably was guilty of thinking that you know I'd had a very um, fortunate upbringing um, and I maybe was guilty of just thinking I would waltz into it and, mm, and it would be handed agreed. to me on the plate. And, uh, you know, being unsuccessful uh, in, in getting into UK dental schools definitely did bring me crashing back down in a good way. Um, so uh, I, I think everything happens for a reason. I, mm. I ended up in Prague um, had a had a fantastic time um, and you know, it, it, if I hadn't had that experience, I, I wouldn't be talking to you today. So, mm. you know. and, and did you, was it, well, I can't remember, was it Kunal who had to do everything in Czech? Was it, didn't he have to write everything in Czech? Is that the same for you? Yeah. So he's, he's, I think all his lectures or everything he submitted had to be in Czech or something. So ours was taught in English. Um, right. We had to learn the language with a view that you would be okay to speak to, to patients on clinics come third and fourth year. Wow. The reality was not the case. Um, we obviously you prioritise, and, and, and knowing that sort of the anatomy or the physiology was going to be more important later on in in in, in your sort of university mm. career. Check. I, I was quite good at it, but I know um, I know a lot of my cohort just did not apply themselves to it at all um mm. it wasn't as much uh as important as some of the other subjects yeah, right. um were there a few english people there or yeah yeah so it was a real mixed bag um so i i got there and on the sort of the introductory day getting toured around this girl came to me and she said your name's oliver I said yes yeah. <laughs> oliver pierce i said no. i said yeah she said oh um, we've we've got mutual friends, and she went to the other um, the other secondary school just down the road from me, and I'd obviously oh, wow. been Flipping, been a topic of conversation, which I've never got to the bottom of. Maybe I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> and then um, do you remember that, do you remember, do you remember that staggered start? <laughs> but, and then she, yeah, there was there was a guy from um, a guy from a town called Driffield, which is like fifteen oh, yeah. minutes mm-hmm. down the road. Um, such a such a small world, um, but then. The flip side is there was people there from um, the Philippines, Botswana, um, Canada. Um, wow. There was an Australian guy. Really eclectic, yeah. Um, so it was a real melting pot, um, mm. I would say. Um, and uh, and yeah, so. Um, and what was the what was the overall experience like? We've had interestingly, you're our third. You're our third yeah. guest on that, that that studied in the Czech Republic. We had Kunal Patel and also Indy Johal. Um, but but you studied in in Prague. What yeah. was that whole experience like? Did you did you enjoy it? Was it good? Did you kind of almost create this like sub community mm. of dental students, was but it, not spend ooh. much time? Yeah, 
Yeah, was, was it kind of you were out with the hen and stank yeah, dudes so every weekend? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was a really interesting experience. I mean, when I got there, Prague was unbelievably cheap. So there was a pub in my apartment mm. block and a pint was 60 pence a pint. So that's, oh. just, just to, to put some time frame around this, this was what, the, the, the late 2000s, around 2010? Yes. Two, that 2007 um, right. was, when, was when I went. So right. um, the, 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 the Charles University in Prague has, has, has had the international um, faculty for about 25 years now. Um, so wow. it's one of the more established ones. But mm-hmm. when you scratch the surface, there are so many places that people can study abroad, um, Hungary, uh, all the way to sort of like Lithuania. Spain's really coming to the fore with a lot yeah, of Yeah, Valencia at the moment's quite popular, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Valencia and, and Madrid as well. Mm. Um, so it, it was quite a small community, I would say. Um, there was only 15 in my cohort of dental, dentists um, with medicine of about 100. Um, so it, it wasn't a big university mm. by, by, by those standards. Um, but it was good. It had its had its advantages, disadvantages. Um, those of you that have been to Prague will know it's a beautiful city. Yeah, um, fabulous. You know, cheap beer that's excellent. Um, well, very nice looking women. Um, and just <laughs> all, all things considered, really good. <laughs> I, like like the look over the I was going to say for those for, of you are listening. Yeah, for, the, yeah. for those that aren't watching this on YouTube, Oliver did just look over his shoulder yeah. and make sure the coast was clear. It's just <laughs> just checking. My wife's not texting. Um, and. Um, but then the flip side is it could be a really lonely place. Mm. Uh, my my dad became ill while I was at university, mm. um, and he sadly passed away in my fourth year of university. Uh, um, oh, and that was, you know, that was very difficult because, the you know I wanted to study at Leeds, which is forty five minutes from mm, my house door to door. Prague, it's a flight. It's you know, it's a full day to sort of get back and forth, mm. and, and that 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 obviously was challenging. Um, so it, it it could also be quite a lonely place, I would mm. say. Um, and you you sort of it's quite a strange feeling. Most of your listeners will never have had this, but where you're walking down the street and everybody's speaking a foreign language to you, you feel quite mm. um, isolated. Isolated, yeah, I'd say isolated. Mm. Um, uh, and then. I was the first year of national recruitment for foundation dentists. So um, it came to my uh, came to my final year, and I was uh, applying, and I was fortunate enough to secure a VT position uh, in my fifth ranked scheme, which was my home city of Hull. So oh. it was quite nice knowing that I was genuinely coming home yeah, uh, I, was, right, yeah. I was coming back to Hull so uh, even though you did your study in Prague you could complete your VT year back in the UK yes so right. and was that was that was that common for lots of the students did lots of the students go back to their home country yeah the vast right. the vast majority went back to their home country right, okay. um I was so there was three English guys on my course uh and I was the only one to secure a VT place um oh. Uh, but yeah, the vast majority of people went back to sort of where they were from. Um, a couple did stay in Prague, to be fair. Um, but yeah, so um, so all all worked out really. Um, mm. I got my fifth rank scheme, Hull. Um, came back for the selection day, um, mm. and uh, I chose to go to a, a really nice guy called Chris Challens, who um, owned a practice in the centre of Hull. Um, always be sort of indebted to Chris 
Um, he taught me an awful lot. Um, the tuition over in Prague, it, it had some really good elements and it had some really bad elements as well. So I walked out of university and I could section teeth. I could um, I could do really nice composites, but I'd done one one amalgam and I'd never done a root canal from start to finish. Um, right. And so I then it took me a bit longer to become registered with the GDC just because of some of the delays with the, the, the Czech side of things. Um, uh-huh. So I kind of came to Chris uh, in the September and he, he took me under his wing, he taught me um, an awful lot. I'll always be indebted to him. Um, mm. and it sort of inspired me that I would love to go on and be a trainer in, in due course. Right. Uh, okay. I think, I, think. And I guess that's one of the risks, isn't it, of studying overseas that I guess our program over here is designed for UK dentistry. Whereas it may be that actually it's a it's, it's a great it's a great experience and and within the Czech Republic it might meet the needs of that of that patient base but if it doesn't translate to here, it's great that you got a, a mentor in somebody mm. that, that you know we're not big on dental puns but it filled the gaps didn't it yeah. the, the the bits that you hadn't that you hadn't kind of finessed at dental school he helped you with that to Absol- get you through. absolutely and I think I think. Um, it's really important that if anybody is going to take, you know, the abroad path that you do when you come out of that, that you are in a practice that can fully, fully, fully support you. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I'd have been let loose on UDAs and all the rest of it without somebody to, to hold my hand at, at times, mm. um, I'd, I'd have been lost, completely lost. Um, mm. So, um, so that, that was, that was a really good experience. Really enjoyed my VT year. Um, learned an awful lot. Um, and then it was coming towards the end of my VT year and I was sort of thinking about what 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 do I do now? And I'd really enjoyed the practice that I was in. I felt for me and my my learning, it would be best for me to to stay in that practice and, and continue to sort of um, mm-hmm. learn from Chris. And I remember very vividly um, my my mum sat me down one night and basically said, you're coming back to the practice. One of the associates is leaving. He's coming to work for us. Um, there was uh, no two ways about it, really. Um, right. It was you. You are coming no back. No choice. Yeah, no choice. Uh, you're coming. Um, she had a, an associate, a lovely associate that worked with her for a long time, and she was pregnant with her second child. And she'd said, "I'm going back to Lithuania um, right. to raise my child." So um, it was pretty yeah. open and shut. Um, you're coming. And- and how how was that work working as a family? Um, obviously, yeah, we go back to those dinner table conversations. It was kind of all the chat, um, but on a day to day basis, and all being kind of you know qualified clinicians now. What what was that like? Was it was it easy and relaxed? Was it quite tense at times? I think it was more tense than relaxed. Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So bit of a sort of a unique setup, really. So there was my mum as sort of practice owner. There was my elder brother as the practice manager, myself as, you know, associate dentist. Mm. Um, My elder brother's wife was an associate working there. And there was my younger brother. It's a proper family affair, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think think if we're being honest, I think it it was a bit too much because, you know, no matter... I was was living at home at this point. You know, I was was 25 and living at home um, with with all of that and it, it, it was too much if we're being honest um yeah, it probably was, felt like your world was quite small mm. yeah my world a was bit like the pierce mafia yeah sort of <laughs> uh yeah it was it was it was really small it was it was too small and i think you did get better um when i when i moved out and bought my first house but nevertheless you know 
when your mum is your boss and your brother is kind of your almost your line manager as such, it's yeah. just it, it was too much. And I think combination of that and the constant battles to get associates. I mean, mm. we had very stable associates, but obviously, you know, here in 2023, we know about the the retention recruitment yeah. retention crisis mm. in places like Hull. This has been a problem for 10, 15 years, yeah. getting associates, good quality associates, getting mm. you know good team members. Um, obviously, it's exacerbated now and it's worse and it's, mm. it's awful to see the entire profession struggling. But in Hull, we've, we've we've you know, we're no strangers to this rodeo. We're, we're, we're used to it. Um, and we eventually decided... I remember very vividly one Friday afternoon and we'd had another associate that had said, I'm off, I've been offered this, I'm, I'm going, I'm taking it. And we just as a, as a family decided that the time had come for us to 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 step back from practice ownership. Uh, right. And we um, approached uh, a broker and the broker said, this won't go to the open market um, and contacted uh, three dental body corporates um who had a little bit of haggling and one of them made us an offer that we we chose to accept right and that was towards the end of 2016 yes was it? so right it, it finally, so, so you worked as a family together for a number of years it was kind of a three or four year process in, in yeah. the run-up to this yeah um so we uh that finally went through in october 2016 um and then I think it's fair to say the wheels very firmly came off. If, if I'm being honest, I think we underestimated how difficult it would be to let go. Um, and even yeah. though I was, uh, you know, still sort of an associate for argument's sake, this was my mum my and dad's practice. This was their yeah. life's work. Um, you know, 65,000 UDAs, 4,000 UOAs, um, 10 surgeries, a big place it was it was a monster mm. um, it was a delivery requirement yeah and so. it's funny we talked to lots of people about this, this very point obviously in, in another life we've only been sold dental practices as you know and and we say to people trying to prepare yourself emotionally for no longer owning your business when you say it, people nod and it's like, no, no, you really need to understand this is no longer going to be yours. Mm, you know, yeah. once the money changes hands and you pass the keys over, you're no longer in charge. And what that owner now does with it in terms of if they change the culture or the decoration or the coffee mm -hmm. or the radio station or whatever it might be, that's for them to do. It's no longer yours. And I think quite a lot of people do find that that kind of emotional separation. I think the quite team tricky. find it hard, don't they? Because mm. it's the same people but different owners. And it's like, yeah. oh, hang on a minute, who it, do I go to? <laughs> there was an awful a lot of friction and, and, I, and I you know I can I can reflect on it now and think I, I certainly didn't carry myself in glory with it I think I was massively under, un, unprepared for accepting mm. that by you know joining a corporate they were going to put their corporate branding on it they were going to put their corporate procedures their policies yeah, in place yeah. the uniforms were going to change you know and 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 sort of you can't have your cake and eat it and um that process taught me an awful lot. I mean, you, you can argue it's either way. Do you go with the gung-ho approach and just mm. on day one, change the paint, change the uniforms, change the logo, or do you do it subtly and slowly? I decided very quickly that that if I was ever going to take a practice over, I would not have done it as fast as they did. Mm. Um, but it also made me realise just how much I needed to own my own practice 
um, and spurred me on for not immediately, but knowing that at some point I was always I was always going to struggle working for somebody else, mm. and I needed to have that autonomy um, and the ability to, uh, to 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 have things. Sort mm. of so it was a learning process. It, whilst it was hard and it was challenging, mm. yeah, you you still took a lot from it. That There's always a push and a pull, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of put you on a path to to, to move forward. I mean, we'll get to your the, the practice you own in in, in a second because you bought that practice t- towards the end of of 2020, uh, which is an interesting time frame given what was happening with covid and everything so from 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 setting the practice and and to that point did you did you stay on working as an associate did you go and work somewhere else as an associate what was that kind of intervening period looking like so i um i stayed for it was about 15 months right i'd handed my notice in twice <laughs> and then on the third time i decided you know i remember very vividly uh one night, it was the first night of the ashes down in uh, Brisbane, and I just couldn't sleep. And I was shaking, and I just thought, "This isn't right. It, mm. This, 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 this is not right. Work should not make you feel this way." No. Um, and I, I had about two hours sleep. I marched into work. I printed it off, and I just said, "I'm done. I'm out. I can't. Mm. I can't work like this. Uh, it's not good for me." We lost. 27 nurses and receptionists in an 18-month period and uh, I was the eighth clinician to leave in 18 months Um, it was a massive upheaval and and what I saw you this must have been quite hard as the as what was your family practice yeah especially if there's a deferred element based on a performance you've you've got that hanging over you haven't you that yeah you don't want to let your mum down but there's so much tied up in it there's the, there's the deferred consideration there's yeah. the, the family connection Definitely. there's the emotional stuff it's a real roller coaster it's it is and, and and these are all things that i know that in 25 years i'm going to have to consider because i do think um i think it was the best thing for our family uh was 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 to, to to join the corporate um but yeah it did put us through the mill that process mm. um and as you say when you've got deferred considerations you've got to loop all that back in um i know that that 18 months was the longest 18 months of my mm. life i know that 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 all happened while my my youngest was she was four months old when that took over and to be honest it was all a bit of a blur looking back mm. I was so preoccupied with 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 work, with with what was going on with that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a really difficult decision for mm. um, for for principals when they're looking to for their exit strategy because mm. I did eighteen months and, and and I underestimated those eighteen months and that took a huge toll on me and it was really mm. difficult. Some some principals are tied into three years four years five years with increased deferred considerations and that's really tough Mm. with minimal control yeah yeah Yeah. so jumping forward on the 2nd of november 2020 you then proudly took over as a principal of of sutton dental practice which is a a more uplifting part yeah i mean it, it was quite a drawn out process to be honest so i Obviously, like like most people when looking for practice, do you register with every every yep. broker? Um, you you contact all, all the different um, all the different brokers out there, and you get yourself signed up to newsletters and, and prospectus mm. and stuff. And actually, the the practice that I I finally bought, I'd actually viewed while I was serving my 
my sentence with the corporate. Um, <laughs> and but it was within my geographical, uh, you know, non-compete clause. Right, uh, restricted and area. Yeah, yeah. Given how things were going, I just was not prepared to take a risk. And then it sold subject to contracts. And again, what will be will be. Um, and then it came back on the market. And I came in November 2019 um, and viewed it. And I made the um, I made the principal an offer. But just linking back to what we said, I made him two offers. Um, one based on a handshake. Here's what here's, you can go. And another one based on I want you to stay for a year as a transition year. So even though I had obviously seen how difficult it was for for people when they when they sell, I also knew that. I didn't think it was right for me just to completely take the keys. I, I kind of wanted to have somebody there to even just to do some of the delivery of the UDAs, mm, um, yeah. just to sort of be that sort of transition phase. Um, and he agreed to stay for a year. Um, I sourced finance through um, one of the, the high street banks. And then obviously in March 2020, um, the world stopped turning and within about three or four days, my um, the gentleman at that bank said, nope, we're not lending you. Um, we're not lending you anymore. Uh, so I had this, this practice that I'd started working in to sort of get my feet mm -hmm. under the table, you know, to get the lay of the land. The whole team knew that I was, you know, looking to take the practice over, um, but no finance in place. Um, so I'm, Again, very much indebted to a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Swan, um, who uh, works for um, works for Lloyd's. Um, good guy, Malcolm. He, uh, yeah, really, really good guy. Um, saw a lot of me on Zoom through COVID, um, <laughs> um, and uh, managed to agree to some finance and, and get 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 the deal back on the road. Um, so all done conveyancy through FTA Law and the guys up in Leeds. Um, Louisa in particular was fantastic um, in, in doing all the due diligence and going through everything with an iron comb um, and then we finally got it over the road uh, over the line on the 2nd of November um, 2020 here's your keys off you go um, so obviously because mm. of because of lockdown lockdown was the 23rd of March 2020 to yeah. the 8th of June 2020 so you've got this this window where you weren't legally allowed to operate uh, other than kind of emergency care. And then you took over in November. So what was those, what was those few months, first few months like? Because I mean, in some ways it's, it's, it's not all bad news because, you know, I, I know you're in the family practice, but this is your practice. You're the principal. Yeah. So you're, you're, this it's not that you've done it before. Mm. So you've got no reference point. So you just started as a principal coming out the back of, of lockdown. But what, what were those first, first Quite few months like? Quite time, really, because you yeah. also didn't have to do all your UDAs. So I no. I wonder how that sort of works as well. I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest point, um, Chris, to be fair. That was the, that was the biggest advantage for me. I mean, the practice that I bought was, 98% NHS um, <laughs> two contracts it gave um, you some breathing space in a weird way didn't a, it? a soft yeah. landing I yeah. know it's still a bit yeah. crappy because it was no, after I, COVID and the reality of it is we just kept popping in and out of lockdowns didn't yeah. we really yeah <laughs> I, I like, think it when's works. the next one going to be I, I think it works really well actually for me I had uh, you know a period where ultimately the UDA delivery wasn't a big concern 
So, you know, if you think about sort of KPIs and that sort of stuff, mm. this was, the, you know, that one was just completely not mm. an issue. Um, we knew that, that, that the targets as such were, were quite minimal, non-restrictive and very easy to hit. And that enabled me to do some of the things around the practice that I wanted to do. To put this into context, mm. when I bought the practice, it had 7,000 paper record cards in reception. Um, you know, it, it needed a refurb. It needed paint it needed mm. um a bit of a bit of a ripping out in places nothing overheat no but nothing overhauling but little things that mm. you can tell it's the same building but actually make a real difference when you walk mm. in yep. um just to you know put, put my stamp on it but again i saw i could see the previous principal who was doing a day a week um i could see that every week he'd come in he was a little bit oh almost like a dagger to his heart seeing mm-hmm. uh you know what I'd done with the reception, seeing what I'd done with, you know, the waiting mm, that's room. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um, but, but I also imagine there probably was a sensitivity on your part because you'd be yeah. on the other end of that mm. when you talked through that process of, you know, your, your, your mother said in the practice to the corporate and how that felt for you. So whilst you were making changes, I would imagine there was also part of you that understood how that might feel. Was yeah. he an older principal. guy? Was he much older? Yeah, so he was in his late fifties, um, right. and he. Oh, that's quite old. He is quite old. Yeah, Chris is Chris is Chris is just turned sixty, so I'm still you very don't early fifties. Very Thanks early very 50s, much. Thank so you. I can Thank say you. that's pretty old. Good man. Good man. I like Oliver. He's a lovely bloke. <laughs> he um, and, and he'd had enough. You know, he, yeah, yeah. he'd yeah, had yeah. enough. He he'd done twenty years of smashing out UDAs, mm. running between two surgeries, seeing 70, 80 people a day. He, he'd had enough, and. I think it was it was that sort of balance between what I thought would work best for me, which was mm-hmm. not be clogged up just in surgery, um, but also to enable the staff to get to know me a little bit better, mm. Um, mm. to have al- almost a bit of counsel as well, because I would involve him in some, not involve him as such, but I would ask his opinion on some of the things yeah. that I was considering mm. laying up. Um, and we decided... Uh, at the end of March, so five months after taking over, um, I had an associate. My associate was leaving; she was going fully private. I'd managed to to find um, a lovely dentist that works for me now, and had agreed to join the practice. I had a therapist coming on board, and it just seemed like the right time to sort of to, 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 to part company. Part company, yeah. Um, on good terms, we shook hands. We um, we agreed because um, we had a really minute, I mean, like 3% deferred element based mm. on some bits and bobs. Um, and we agreed on, on a figure for that and we shook hands and um, and I've not seen him since. I think I've had two messages since he's <laughs> off on his ride on lawnmower. Um, good living, for him. Living his life. Yeah, good for him. Absolutely. Um, and it worked. It worked. And sometimes it's nice to cut things just before it starts to get a little bit awkward. So everyone can leave with a smile on their face, a good feeling, then try and kind of milk it for that last one or two percent. Yeah, I think we were definitely there. I think yeah. I felt happier with sort of my understanding of the building and the practice and the team. Um, and I could see that with every day, that every Thursday that he came in, he there was a little bit less of his heart in it. Um, mm. And above all else, you, you when you are obviously managing you you, Mm. you've got to spot those signs and you're better sometimes just to shake hands and say thank you very much do you want to call it a day yeah we did um and and that worked that worked well really you you've done a lot's happened to you in your your dental career so far from 
you know, an interesting qualification period, you know, your VT, getting in the family business, selling that business, buying your own practice. How would you kind of bookend it at the moment in terms of your your best and worst days in business? <laughs> yeah. Because a lot's gone on, a, a lot's happened. What what would you say? Is and you've only just started. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. You're, you're a relatively new practice owner. But if we kind of drew a line now, what's been your best and worst day in business so far? I think best days harder harder to, to, to answer. I, my, my worst days is really, really easy, um, really, really vivid for me. I am... Um, I'd put some anaesthetic in a patient. Um, I'd numbed her up uh, last uh, October. And I came down and I just checked my emails. And I had an email from um, the GDC, from the um, from, a, from a caseworker, saying, can you uh, confirm your address? We've got something to post to you. And I looked down and it said, fitness to practice caseworker. I thought, what on oh, earth? Geez. So I rang them. And she said, oh, can you confirm your address? And we'll post it. It might take two weeks. I said, what's no. this about? She said, you've got a fitness to practice complaint against you. I said, you can't leave me waiting two weeks. For two weeks. Just, yeah, flip. You just can't leave me waiting two weeks. That, that, that can't be right. So went around the houses, did a few identity checks. And she said, I'll email it to you right away. So three hours later, she emails through this um, fitness to practice allegation. In uh, May of last year, I fitted a denture to a lady on the Thursday. Um, fitted the denture at half past 12 on the Thursday. Eight o'clock on the Friday morning, the lady rang. I booked a review, said, wear the denture a couple of weeks. I'll see how you're getting on in a couple of weeks. Eight o'clock Friday morning, the lady rang and um, she wanted to speak to me. She was unhappy with the denture, so... Busy in surgery, rang back a couple of hours later. 40 minutes, I was on the phone to the lady, going back and forth. And she said, you weren't happy with it. I said, we've tried this denture three times. I feel I've done the best I can. You know, I've, I've, you know, I've given it my all. And you've only had it for eight, <coughs> eight hours. I want you to wear it a bit more. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks, see how you're getting on. Um, and she, uh, I, I said, look, got to wear it. Please wear it. She said, my friends and family have told me I look absolutely ridiculous. I said, I'm really sorry that you've had that feedback. You know, you've only had it 18 hours. It's going to feel different. Mm. Wear it. I'll see you a week on Thursday. See how you're getting on. She cancelled the review um, with me. And I just didn't really think anything more of it. Mm. Uh, four days later, she wrote a handwritten letter to the General Dental Council um, accusing me of being unfit for practice um, because she was unhappy with the denture that I've made. It took the GDC from May to October to bring that to me. Um, wow. And then I obviously panicked, absolutely mm. blind panic. Um, I printed it all off and I mean everything. You mean ev everything. Everything since that patient has joined the practice 20 years ago, you have to send it all in. Um, on the 2nd of December, um, it was reviewed by somebody at the GDC who signed off that there was no case to answer, um, not unfit to practice, all absolutely fine. And it took the GDC till the middle of February to get that report across to me. Um, oh, my goodness. Good so, 
I suppose in a way, if you say to me, what's your best day in business, it's probably the day I found out that I was allowed to keep working as a dentist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think what's what's really harrowing in that nine-month process is, is, is A, who that, that doesn't serve anybody. That doesn't help anybody. The delays, the five mm. months between the patient reporting an allegation to actually being assessed is, is yeah. ridiculous. Um, the fact that that got to the GDC is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, I still sort of scratch my head and think, who does this process actually serve? Yeah, it is um, nonsense because there should be an interim before it yeah. gets to the GDC. And I remember, wasn't there a newspaper advert a couple of years ago where basically the GDC paid for all these adverts that effectively were saying, are you unhappy with your dentist? Yeah. If so, get in contact with you. And you sort of think, isn't the GDC, not wishing to be political, there to uh, obviously protect the patient but support the dentist? I mean, Absolutely. you know, it, it should be supported. You know, you look at the mm. you look at the BMA, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I, I don't – I mean, that process just needs urgent, urgent reform. I mean, mm. I, th- I think from, from, from top to bottom with it, really, I mean, obviously there's been so much made about recruitment and retention crisis, and we've mm. got hundreds and thousands of dentists trying to register with the GDC, but it's just overly complicated, drawn out delays. Mm. And you have to question who who is this serving at the moment? Mm. Um, but the worst thing about that is that I was one of only 11% that get thrown out at that stage. And I know <coughs> how that made me feel. Wow. Um, mm. That that made me sort of, you know, because that's your livelihood. It's not only is your yeah. livelihood, it's your mortgage, it's it's mm. it's everything. But yeah. I think it's no it's, wonder, sorry, Andy, I was going to say, it's no wonder, isn't it, that when we hear anecdotally people saying, uh, practice owners or old associates, older associates saying, the new guys coming out of, of dental school just aren't very good quick, but they're really good at writing notes. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they call it the, the defensive dentistry, isn't it, to protect themselves from issues yeah. that you have. And as you yeah. say, if it's, if, it's never, if it's never dealt with quickly, then you need to have that protection. I mean, we used to work in banks, and we, we, one of the things that we, we used to say from our legal teams was we would quite often, if we lost a case, it was normally because no one wrote any notes. Yeah. So, but dentists, you know, we, we hear these young associates are really good at note-taking. Yeah, I think I mean, some, something's gone wrong there because that all takes away from patient care, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've all gone into to dentistry um, to help patients. At what mm. point does that GDC process help patients? I'm mm. not sure. Yeah. Um, I think the shame of it is, as you tell the story, is the time it takes from that what would have been a two-week delay for the letter but moved mm. on to becoming an email, that, that stress of having that hanging over you while you're waiting for it to get there that that's unacceptable and that has to be streamlined and expedited yeah. so we mm. don't have dentists having that build up of stress yeah. but also it obviously took its toll on you because you were able to recount the days and the dates and the times of what happened it's a massive part of your life because yeah. like you say effectively mm. it, it it could life be goes it, on hold, doesn't the it? thing is it could be career ending yeah yeah. yeah yeah depending on what the outcome is it could be career ending so when you've got a practice and a team and family and, mm, and bills and yeah. commitments to have that hanging over you for month after month after month is it's completely unfair yeah i i i I do hope that, that there will be some reforms and I do hope that I hope that nobody has to go through something for something so so, mm. so spurious as, as mm. that. Um I sort of tell myself that if you you know, if you see fifty, sixty people a day, um somebody's not probably gonna like you very much. But does that mean that, that they have the should have the ability to to just absolutely spin your, your life mm. upside down like that? I don't mm. I don't know. Um mm. 
Yeah. So, um, oh, thank you for sharing that because no. I think for lots of people that that would be a really interesting listen because yes. there's lots of kind of stories of, of, you know, the GDC and fitness practice, but actually to hear a first-hand account yeah, of, of, of what it was like and, and how it affected you. And, and, you know, it's fabulous there was a positive outcome because it sounded like it was absolutely a spurious claim. Just, I mean, just as a sort of parting comment on that, that does loop into the direction that I'm taking my practice. Mm. Mm. I, if I'm leaving myself open to you know complaints by 50 60 people a day you have to question the future of your practice and you know it, yeah. it does link into why we are reducing our nhs commitment um yeah. i would rather see 15 20 people a day and be absolutely sure they're happy with the service mm. happy with the product or whatever you than seeing 50 people a day and worrying thinking i've got three people waiting i need to speed this conversation up mm-hmm. um but that's a real disconnect between, yeah. you know, it, it, it appears in the House of Commons where there's constant debates about access to dentistry and how do we improve access. And then on the other side, we're not getting the profession being perhaps protected. supported and protected in the way they should be. Yeah. So, you know, the, the boots on the ground are saying, well, actually, you know, I'm running my own independent business and I need to do a risk assessment. And by seeing fewer patients where I can control that environment better yeah. than churning out lots of dentistry, mm. that's a safe environment to work in. And that's... <coughs> You end up with this, this, this disconnect of, well, how do you kind of round that circle? You, well, you, you, you don't. And I think that's why we are here in 2023 going round mm. in circles and there's fewer and fewer people in that circle willing to do work in those, mm. those circumstances, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. So just going back to your, your, your practice, um, you, you've now been in there as a principal for, for a while. Um, what would you say are the myths of, of only a dental practice? We see lots of stuff on, oh, you know, stressful, mate. Yeah, we see lots of stuff on social media, and everybody there, there, there seems to be kind of this almost this movement that kind of says, you know, you're an associate, and at some point you, you've never really made it until you become a become a principal, which I think is nonsense anyway. I think just being a dentist is is an incredible thing to be in, in, in your own right. But what what are the myths that people think that only a practice are? Uh, all, all, all the good stuff that isn't Less stressful, real. more time I, and more money. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Let's challenge those ones. Uh, I think they're all absolutely wrong. Uh, <laughs> there we go. To be uh, I, I know I'm meant to be here flying the flag for for young associates going to become principals, but I'm, I'm struggling to give. No, I think I, I've heard you say numerous times, uh, both both of you, about how when you become principal, you are the finance manager, the HR manager. Yeah. And actually, you're doing these things in two percent of your time. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I spend my morning commute, my lunch times, racking my brains, thinking about the next steps, the next things to do with the practice. You are always worrying about something, um, whether that's staffing, whether that's equipment, whether that's um, I'm currently investigating extending the practice, um, whether it's negotiating with 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 area teams which i've been doing for, for 10 months and counting and um, you, you're always and i look back to those days of being an associate where you might worry about that denture that you fitted <laughs> you might worry that mrs smith's a bit sore after that extraction but 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 actually you've got over it by quarter past five yeah, whereas, so you went home at five yeah yeah whereas this is um this is checking your emails of an evening this is coming in on weekend to mm. meet, meet contractors um 
I you've obviously still got it. a young you've you've still got a young family, Oliver. Are, are you able to switch off? Are you able to kind of have that delineation where there are periods where you you aren't working? And and I don't mean physically, I mean mentally. Is it is it always ticking away in the background? Yeah, I, I think it is. And if I'm honest, I I think I think I thought I would have been able to switch off more, yeah. and I would have had mm. more of a work life balance by this stage in my principal mm. journey. I'm coming up to two and a half years now, and I think I thought, always thought, ah, two years will be first couple of years will be be tricky. They'll be they'll be hard, but then it'll be I'll get it sorted. Yeah, I'll get it yeah. sorted. It'll all run itself like clockwork. Yeah, and in reality, um, it's the boiler last week. It's <laughs> one off on six next week, um, and it, and it, and it doesn't matter. I think I know. Obviously, we talk about having good managers in place and and, and delegating, but ultimately, when it's your business, when it's your bank loan. When it's your mortgage on the line, it's mm. on your shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether whether you might not make the day to day decision on how it works or how, what goes through, it's on your head. Um, mm. And I think, um, yeah, the myth, the, probably the myth would be that you'll have a tough couple of years and that it's all fine and dandy from there. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, well, but you're still not. smiling, and 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 to me, you genuinely look like you're enjoying it. It you, you, it's, it, it doesn't sound easy, but it, it does sound like you're enjoying it. Mm. And I think sometimes things that are hard, as long as we're we're taking joy from it mm. and it, it and, and it's delivering, we it's don't mind doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one thing, <coughs> one thing that I maybe wish I I knew a little bit more about is sort of the you know, excuse the pun for the podcast but the business of dentistry and the, the politics of right. dentistry yeah. um, do you like that one because because i thought i knew a lot about it mm. i thought i understood a lot about it but actually even in terms of like how nhs pay statements work and schedules work and the split and <laughs> and, and patient charge revenue and all the bits of superannuation i've learned yeah. so much from those just by being the one that has to know about them um and likewise, I that's a, it's, sorry, that's a real interesting one. I never really thought about it to a certain degree. But as an associate, you never see that. No, no. You, you, you have <laughs> something. Like, you know, this is how many UDAs you've done. Boom. Mm. Yeah, you have no idea that actually some of that has been taken patient charge revenue. Some of it's not. Yeah, how that works. Yeah. How that impacts what you're getting paid on the first of the month, the next month. Yeah, mm. yeah. you just completely but cash flow. But also, I think that's a difference between the the kind of the theory and the practical application. Yeah, you definitely. know, you can't you can't learn to swim standing on the edge of a swimming pool, just no. swinging your arms around. You've got to get wet. <laughs> and I think the difference is when it's your business. You, you have to understand it. Just having a basic idea of what it is yeah. and living it and breathing it on a day-to-day basis are mm. two completely different things. Yeah, I'd agree. Even down to um, my bank repayments and the fact that the chunk of capital repayment is classed as income for you. So, you know, you might you might have, um, I don't know, the, the, the business might make 100, you might draw £100,000 out of the business, but if you've been paying £2,000 a month to your bank, in the interest of HMRC, that's income. So you're getting taxed on it, even though you don't have it. Um, it's just little things like that that I just, I thought I understood, um, but I, I didn't. And then that's before you get into the politics of dentistry. And I think the, the biggest sort of struggles that I've been having, I've been really negotiating with with the area teams, trying mm. to get some traction um, and sort of you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Um, and that, that just understanding how our commissioners work and the people that are responsible yeah. mm. for NHS dentistry, um, mm. that in itself is just a completely different world, but I, I had no mm. idea about. 
I think fortunately in, in dentistry, there are some great specialist support providers mm. out yeah. there. And, and there's a phrase, isn't there? Learn from your mistakes. I think it's a crap phrase. I think you should learn from other people's mistakes. And I think if there's <laughs> people that have trodden the path before you, you know, whether they're accountants or lawyers or mm. brokers or whoever, if they have knowledge in this area, you should lean on those people because yeah. in the early days when you're trying to find out so much stuff and you're also developing your own personal leadership skills in terms of managing a team, if there's other people that can take some of that kind of stress away from you in terms of understanding the numbers, we, we might as well use those people because then it enables us to focus on the stuff where we really make an impact, which is continuing to deliver your clinical dentistry, yeah. you know, making sure that the culture in your team is positive. Because if you end up going down dark alleys and trying to work on numbers and that's not your forte, but somebody else can do it, yeah. you know, it, it, it's drawing on those people that have got those specialist skills. Yeah, I find it absolutely crazy that there are people out there who purchase practices without a dental specialist. Like, mm, mm, um, it's mad. That th th there are practices out there that don't have dental specialist solicit uh, accountants. That that yeah. just is absolutely crackers. I mean, I use a Nasdaq accountant. Um, I value their insight um, into how sort of the you know clawback and stuff like that. Mm. Um, you really do need to rely on. It's a complicated business. It is, yeah. But accident waiting to happen. I think if you don't use the right advice, yeah, an enjoyable one, nevertheless. Absolutely. Yeah, true, true. Oliver, your story is um, brilliant. Um, yeah, thank I, you. I, I think that you know so much has happened over a relatively short period <laughs> yeah, of time. It's not um, very long, is it? Really? No, no. <laughs> and uh, and, it, and it, like I say, it's fascinating. But people's life stories always surprise me. You know, people think, "Well, I've got nothing to say." And when you start digging into it, everyone's got a, an amazing Something. backstory that kind of explains why they are where they are today. We always finish up in the same way. We always ask our guests the same two questions just for a bit of consistency. And the first one we have is if you could be the fly on a wall in a situation somewhere, um, where would you be and what would that situation look like? So for my sins outside of um, being a, a husband and um, a father and a practice owner, I'm, I'm also a very avid village cricketer. Um, oh. Make up for my lack of skill with with uh, enthusiasm and exuberance. And I, if you were to say if you could be the fly on the wall in any situation, I would go back to the 25th of August 2019, which was uh, the day that Ben Stokes um, provided his hero heroics at Headingley, because that provided me with, you know, you talk about not being able to take your eyes off something. You could not take your eyes off that game of cricket. Um, and I probably would want to be a fly on. I'm going to go with Jack Leach's shoulder as he <laughs> walked down the steps at Headingley to 30-odd thousand drunk Yorkshiremen um, to meet up with Ben Stokes in the middle um, and find out those conversations, what they said to each other. Because when I bat, it's just a bit of a keep going. Um, whereas <laughs> I imagine there was probably some slightly more inspirational words um, and obviously just to see what they sort of said to each other uh, when, when they got England over the line. Um, so, yeah, I'd go, I'd go with Ben Stokes at Headingley. Um, see what they said to each other. Haven't heard that one before. No, 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 no. And I don't know if it's going to be if there's going to be a connection here or we're going down a different path. But if you could meet anybody, who would you like to to meet given the opportunity? Alive. No. So it's, so staying on the same same subject. Um, I'd love to have met Shane Warne, um, the late oh. great <laughs> Australian yeah. leg spinner. I think Not in a bar. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. In a bar, <laughs> no. ideally. In a bar. Um, although. Based on the stories about him, I don't think it necessarily needed to be in a bar. I think just have to be anywhere. <laughs> just anywhere. Um, I think what he did for the game of cricket, he made it exciting. He was a character. 
Um, he got himself into trouble a couple of times. He lived quite a, a, an interesting lifestyle outside of the sport, and he took, mm, took and he away the you know, he did. The, he the, did. the reputation of sort of cricket being kind of boring. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have met Shane Warne in a bar, but if not, absolutely anywhere. I'm sure he brings anywhere. Games. Um, yeah, he was definitely a big character, wasn't yeah, he? Was, yeah. um, so shame on for me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Honor fact, it's been an absolute joy. It's been it's been great. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your honesty and your candor yeah, as well. Yeah, I think definitely. the stories Thank you've you told, are, very they're going to really help people. Uh, and like I say, I think it's real kind of, you know, on the ground opinion of buying a practice, selling a practice, um, <coughs> your fitness practice side of things. I think everything. I think it's it's got so many elements that that are really relevant and important uh, for people who own practices or who are thinking about buying a practice or just generally within dentistry. So we really appreciate your time today. So are you, are you, are you in you. clinic today? I am, yeah. I am. Yeah. Excellent. Busy, busy. couple of people waiting. So thank you very Brilliant. much for your time, gents. No, not at all. No, it's been really good talking to you. Thanks, Oliver. Cheers, thank Oliver. You. Cheers, guys. Well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.